0: Um today's passage is gonna be out of Philippians 2 um, verses 12 through 18. If you stand with me as I read. And if you haven't don't have a Bible on hand, there should be a pew Bible in front of you, and you can find this passage on page 678. 678. So once again, just follow along with me as I read Philippians two verses twelve through eighteen. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more so in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Hold fast the word of life, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. For the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. Lord, we come to you right now, we just want to first off thank thank you, and we want to praise you for just how worthy of honor and glory you are, God. I pray that uh, today we would uh, have open hearts and minds to be able to listen to what Pastor Chris is saying, then be able to apply all that we've learned to further seek to glorify you, God. I pray all these things in your name, amen.
1: Amen. You may be seated. Man, that is very cool. Thank you, uh, Chad, for sharing with that, and I hope you all saw from our last two years and our Makande project a lot of the same parallel themes, and really we wanted to get in on this uh, when we first supported the Mortons, but the time wasn't right yet, and uh, now the time is right, and I think it's cool for us as a church, we have the experience now of supporting, right here, right here. We have the experience now of supporting uh, and funding the translation of a language, and now we can do that again, and I, I'm, I just see God in that. Amen, church? And it's going to be good. It's going to be good, and we're glad they're here. Well, let me say this. Happy epiphany. Have you been saying that? Happy epiphany. What is epiphany? First of all, it's just fun to say. Epiphany. It's a great word. It means manifestation or appearance, and refers to the appearance of the Jewish Messiah to the Gentile nations. We just heard about a nation in the Far East and Christ appearing through the gospel. Well, that's what Epiphany means. It's traditionally uh, celebrated on January 6th, which is this Tuesday. So Tuesday you can say, Happy Epiphany. Or it's celebrated on the first Sunday after the new year, which is today. And so again, happy epiphany. It focuses on the arrival of the wise men who followed the supernatural star that shone in the darkness and eventually led them via Jerusalem to Nazareth where they saw the King of the Jews, the Savior of the world, the Lord Jesus Christ. One of my favorite Christmas carols, We Three Kings, was written to celebrate this day in the life of the church. Now, why January 6th? Well, that's because of the 12 days of Christmas. We often think of the 12 days of Christmas as leading up to Christmas, but in reality, the 12 days of Christmas start on December 25th and lead up to January 6th, the day of Epiphany. And, and that's a good thing. You Really, kids, you ought to get your family, Campbell, Cason, this is important, You ought to get your family to celebrate Epiphany because when you celebrate Epiphany, you get presents on the 25th of December and January 6th. And typically on Epiphany Eve, which would be last night or Monday night, depending on how you celebrate it, you take down your Christmas decorations and your Christmas tree. So how many have Christmas down? How many didn't even put it up? Okay. Now we always like, driving around our neighborhood, we like to to enjoy in the middle of summer people who still have their Christmas lights up. And, uh, you know, to me it makes sense. I'm the one that put them up. They're a pain to put up. They're a pain to take down. But they're glorious when they're up. Why? Because they shine in the darkness. We'll We'll drive around. We'll go down, you know, long way home just to see lights shining. Well, here's what you need to know about Epiphany. Here's what you need to know. That like the star that led the wise men to worship Jesus as Lord, we are to shine. We are to shine, shine, shine as a church in the darkness of this world to lead others to worship Jesus as the Lord of all. But how do we do that? That's what today's message is about. How do we shine in the darkness and point a lost and dying world, to see Jesus for who He is and not only see Him as the Lord of all, but to worship Him, to kneel as the wise men did, to kneel as we just sang, to kneel as hopefully you and I do in our hearts, to worship and adore Jesus for who He really is. Well, there's many passages that we could turn to to do this. But for the last four weeks, down in the New Life class, during the Discovery Hour, for the Advent season, we've been uh, studying Philippians 2. And the passage that Jeremy read for us really is a great passage to learn how we can shine together as a church in the new year. So I want you to look at Philippians 2, 12 through 18. We're not going to read it again now, but I want you to, on your Bibles, on your phones, whatever you're using, but use it and pay attention. We're going to dig into the Bible because that's what we're here to hear from. We're here to hear from God. Amen? So let's take a look at it. And what we're going to see in this passage, and the way I've broken it down, is there's three priorities for this new year. There's three priorities if we're going to shine in the darkness. And here's the first priority. We shine in the darkness when, number one, we work out. We work out what God has already worked in us in Christ. We work out what God has already worked in us in Christ. That's right. I said work out. Now, I know it's January 4th, and for some of us, that's already a dirty word, working out, and it may stir up some bad memories like these you're gonna see on the video. Secondly, if you're gonna work out, have your mom around to help you. Uh, Maybe you've had a few gym fails yourself. Maybe working out has never gone well for you. But I have good news for you this morning, that this workout, this is one workout that God's people never have to fail at. Why? Because we are working out what God has already worked in us. Look at Philippians 2, 12 through 13 again. Notice what it says. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. We need to answer a few questions in order to really understand what these two powerful verses really mean. I think these are some of the greatest verses you could memorize. These These are some of the greatest verses that answer almost every question that arises so often in the Christian life. And here's the first question. What has God already worked in us? What is it that God has already worked in us? And the answer is our salvation our salvation. Paul is not telling us to work for our salvation, but to work out our salvation. If you're here this morning and you've been trying to work for God's acceptance, then I've got good news for you. God has already done all that he requires of you. He's done it himself, and he's offering it to you this morning as a free gift. Salvation is is not something that we have to do in order to work up to God. Salvation is something that God has come down and already done for us in the person of Christ. Well, what has he done? Look back at verses 6 through 11. In verses 6 through 11, this is all about Jesus coming down as the Son of God to do for us what we cannot and could not do for ourselves. Look in verse 6, the miracle of the Incarnation. The Son of God who had existed as God in eternity past became fully human without becoming any less God. Then in verse 7, 7 through 8, we see the obedience of his humiliation. Having become a man and yet still fully God, he was treated as less than God and yet he didn't murmur, he didn't complain, he didn't zap anybody with his supernatural power, he didn't promote himself. Instead, he humbled himself and became obedient even to the death, the shame death of a cross. And we see that in the last part of verse 8, the shame of the crucifixion. Jesus was willing to be fully obedient like God requires of you and me, even when it cost him shame, even when it cost him suffering, even when it was way beneath his dignity as the Son of God and as a perfect human being. And then we see in verses 9-11 through the glory of His resurrection, His ascension, and His ultimate exaltation as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and given the name that is above all names, Jesus is Yahweh. He is the God of the Old Testament. He's the God of the New Testament. He is fully God and the only way to salvation. God is doing for us they're the whole gospel story. They're the Christmas story. God is doing for us what we could not and cannot do for ourselves. And for everyone here this morning who, as in verses 9 through 11, have bowed the knee of your heart and have confessed with your mouth that Jesus is who He really is. And Jesus came and did what He really did. And He's really where He really is right now, seated at the right hand of the Father. If you have confess Jesus as Lord, then God has already worked in you the salvation that we all so desperately need. So how do we know God's done this? Well, Philippians 1.6 tells us. Philippians 1.6 says this, for I am confident of this very thing, that he, God, who began a good work in you, will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Salvation from beginning to end has already been worked in you if you have trusted Jesus as Savior. So what do we work out? If God's working in us, His salvation, what do we work out? The answer is this, the salvation that God has already worked in us. We're to work out what God has already placed in. So we're not working for something. We're working from something that God has already done. That's why this workout will never fail. Now, this is why we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Notice what it says, that we work out, in verse 12, our salvation with fear and trembling. Why? Because God's already saved us, and God's already working inside of us, in Christ, by the indwelling Spirit, God Almighty, the Lord Jesus Christ, Lord of all, is inside of us, fear and trembling. Because basically we're living the message of Christmas, Emmanuel, God with us, God for us, and God in us. So we work it out, not with a a just flippancy, we work it out with a fearfulness that a holy God is working His will and His pleasure from the inside out. And everywhere we go in 2015, everything we see, everything we listen to, we're taking God Almighty and Jesus Lord of all with us in the process. Emmanuel, God with us, for us, and in us. So the first priority in the new year is not to work for your salvation, but to work from your salvation and work out your salvation that God is already working in us those who have publicly confessed Jesus as Lord. So if we're going to shine, if we're going to shine in the darkness, then we're going to have to make it a priority to work out the light of salvation that's already in us through the message of the gospel. But how do we do that? How do we work out? So here's the third question we need to ask about this. How do we work out what God has already worked in? Well, the answer is clearly given to us in verses 12 and 13. And I could sum it up in one word. Obedience. Obedience. So here's how you do it. Obey the universal rule of Jesus Christ, the Lord. Obey the universal rule of Jesus Christ as Lord. Look again at verses 9 through 11. Therefore God has all highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, of those in heaven and those on earth and of those under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the one we obey who has universal lordship and rulership over the universe. Now look at verse 12. Therefore... Because in light of who Jesus is, in light of us being Christ followers, therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, not as, in my, not as in my presence only, not when I'm around, but also when I'm not around, now much more in my absence, obey. Now, the only way we're going to shine in the new year is if we obey the commands of the Lord Jesus Christ as found in the Bible. Now, some people so overemphasize God's work in salvation to the point that they underemphasize that there's any obedience on our part. We we seem to swing from two uh, extremes. Either we got to do it all, or we're not doing anything. But here's, listen, when God says work out what I've already worked in, he doesn't mean to let go and let God do it all. Let go and let God. Sometimes you hear that. Verse 12 says... We're to obey by working out what God has already worked in. The word for work there, work out, means do something to produce something. So we are to do something, obey, to produce something that's already in us, and that's our salvation. Listen, if you're not, if you're not obeying, you're not working out, and if you're not working out, you're not obeying. It's really that simple. It takes effort. It takes work. We need to make our salvation happen that's already occurred in our hearts. Epiphany means manifest, appear. And the way you let your, shine, your, your light shine is by an obedient life on a daily basis. Now, working out what God has already worked in does not mean do your best and let God do the rest. Now, these are snappy things, and uh, we hear them a lot. Do your best and let God do the rest. This reduces God's work in salvation to little more than helping us along if we need it. Let me give you a newsflash. I need a whole lot more than a little help. How about you? I stumble. I am tempted. I mess up every day, every moment. I need more than a little help after I've done my best. I need help from start to finish and everywhere in between. And I bet most of you, if not all of you, would be honest, would say the same. So, how do we obey the Lord? How do we do this? How do we work out by obeying? Here's the second part of the answer. Depend on God's gracious resources in the Lord. We obey not in the power of ourselves, not in the power of the flesh, but we obey by depending or trusting in God's resources. This is what we see in verse 13. Notice in verse 12, it says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, if you just read that, you'd say, man, God did something in the past. Now I got to do the rest. But notice, he says, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Wow, that's exciting. Listen to that. How do we obey? We obey By depending on God's resources in two ways, according to this verse. First of all, the desire to work is a gift of God's grace. The desire to obey, the desire to work out is a gift of God's grace. I don't have to worry about wanting to do this if I'm born again. God's already given me the desire. Can I hear an amen? Not only that, but the doing of the work. The doing of the obedience is a gift of God's grace. Are you getting this? Whoa, you ought to be saying, no way. And your neighbor ought to be saying, yes way. And if you're Pastor Tyrone, you ought to be saying, triple, wow, wow, wow. Because it doesn't get any better than that. Work out your salvation. And oh, by the way, I've already given you the desire if you're born again. I've already given you the ability to do it. You just need to show up and get active and get going. I don't know about you, but that's good news for me. Listen, in Christ, by God's grace, through the indwelling Holy Spirit, God gives us the want to and the how to. He gives us the desire and the doing. He gives us the willing and the working. He gives us the total package. God not only begins salvation, Philippians 1.6, He not only completes our salvation, Philippians 1.6, but according to Philippians 2.13, everything in between, He gives us the desire to do it and the ability to do it on the daily basis of obedience to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And we shine, we shine, we shine in the darkness. Listen, church we have no excuse for not obeying the Lord if we are believers this morning. And we have every motivation for leading a more obedient life in 2015 than we did in 2014. And here's why. We are God's beloved according to verse 12. Not only the apostles beloved, we are God's beloved. And when you trace this word out in scripture, beloved means God chose us before the foundation of the world to unconditionally love us, save us, and work in us His salvation. That's the power of being beloved. It's unconditional love from God that we don't earn, we don't deserve, but is granted to us through the gospel. God is continually at work in us. In verse 13, it says, God... Is that in verse 13? For it is God who works. That's in the present tense. God is working. God's been working. God's going to be working in us. And as He continually works in us, He gives us a desire and the ability to do what He is required. And not only that, God does it all by His grace and for His glory. Because look at the end of verse 13. He gives us the desire, He gives us the, the ability to do it, and it's all done. For His good pleasure. It's done for His glory. And why wouldn't it be for His glory? How can I take glory when God began it, God's going to end it, and He gives me everything to do it in between? I just trust in Him. I trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy and holy in Jesus than to trust and obey. It's all there for us if we're going to shine. So if we're going to shine in the new year, then priority one is to work out what God has already worked in. There should be no workout fails. We have the ability. Let's do it. Priority number two, not only do we work out, but we don't do it alone. We work together to advance the gospel of Christ. Listen, we're not going to shine if we don't work together together to advance the Gospel of Christ. That's why our partners are here this morning. That's why hearing their report is so important. That's why we're here gathered together, not in isolation this morning, not sitting at home watching uh, church online or on TV, because we've got to work together to advance the Gospel of Christ. Now, not only are we to work out, but we're going to do it together, and this is good news and bad news. Working out together is good news and bad news. Okay. The good news is, anytime we have to work out, it's good to have other people helping you, okay? okay? Like mom, you know. In fact, you didn't hear it when the guy crushes the aquarium, the first thing he says is, mom, you know. And, so, and that's kind of how we need to be. When we are struggling to work out and work together, we need to cry out, not mom, but we need to cry out, dad, help, help. It's like having spotters who stand on either side of you when you're lifting weights. I remember when I spent a summer in college living with Mitch Calmes. Now, any guys in college living together in an apartment always have free weights sitting around. Now, they're usually clothes hangers, but they're there. The free weights are there. And for some reason, I don't know why I did this. I was alone. I decided to do that. And if the videos were showing back then, it would be a humorous story. And I was trapped. And I'm thinking, okay, now how long before Mitch gets back? And, uh, and and, and the, if you've ever been in that position, it, time is your enemy because all you do is get weaker. Okay, and then you start trying to think, you know, how do I do this? If I roll it down, there's important body parts down there that will be immediately crushed. I don't have the strength, I, you know, and I and and, and and I have a horrible long-term memory. I don't remember how I got out of it. I don't know if somebody can. I don't remember, but I remember the awful feeling. So it's good to work together when you work out. Okay. Now the bad news is, when you're working out with someone, is that there's someone else there. Doing anything with other people has downsides. Anytime we have to work together with others, there's a potential for problems and personality conflicts. It was good to meet uh, the Morton's partners, and, uh, and we talked a little bit about that, how unique it was for them to be able to work together. And they didn't say, oh, it's problem-free, and we just love each other to death all the time. No, they're saying, we're the only two foreigners in a town of 150,000 where we kind of stand out, okay? And, and, and the partner is, like, very tall and very bald. And so, you know, uh, in, in, a, in a culture of black hair and short people, it, 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 I'm, it's got to be pretty unique. And he's like, hey, when you got a problem with someone, you can't hide. We can't hide from each other. And that's what we do here, don't we? We hide from each other. We isolate. We leave the church and we go to the other church. You know, these guys don't have another church to go to. Of course, they're Baptists. Maybe they could work it out but, and have two, but we don't want to have two. We want to have one. We want to work together. Now, why is that? When you work with other people to advance the gospel, there's potential for betrayal, rejection, disappointment, division, disunity, unmet expectations, envy, jealousy, criticism, and most of all, pride. Apparently, the believers in Philippi were having a hard time working out their salvation together as a church. How do we know that? Look at verse 14. Do all things without murmuring and disputing. You don't write that unless it's happening, okay? And then we know in Philippians 4.2, I implore Eudia and I implore Synecdoche to be of the same mind. You don't say that unless they're divided. What were they arguing over? We don't know who had the worst name. I don't know what they were arguing over. But the point is, he says, I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labor with me in the gospel. Listen, these were good people. These were godly people. These were core members of that church, and they were having a hard time working together to advance the gospel. Hey, it's okay to have problems. It's okay to have personality conflicts, but we got to work through them together. Amen? One of the best ways we shine in the darkness as a church body is by working together to advance the gospel. Now look at verses 14 Through 16. Do all things without murmuring and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God, without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. There's four ways in these verses that we need to work together to advance the gospel and shine in 2015. Let me give them to you How uh, just to summarize them and maybe put some handles on them. First of all, we've got to work together with humility. We've got to work together with humility. Look at verse 14. Do all things without complaining, murmuring, or disputing. This whole chapter, Philippians 2, is about serving with humility. And let me just cut to the chase. Proud people complain. Proud people argue. Proud people cause division. That word for murmuring is the word that you see so much in Exodus. It's what the children of Israel did all through the wilderness. Murmur, 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 grumble, grumble, grumble. It's what you and I do when things don't go our way. It's what you and I do when our spouse disappoints us. It's what you and I do when our kids disappoint us. It's what kids do when their parents frustrate them. It's what we do when our boss drives us nuts. But humble people don't do that. What do they do instead? Humble people do verses 2, uh, Philippians 2, 3 through 5. Humble people do nothing through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, esteem others better than themselves humble people don't murmur instead they look out not only for their own interests but for all the also for the interest of others verse 5 humble people don't murmur and dispute instead they have the same mindset that was in christ jesus who was so high but willing to go so low in order to serve others And when things went against him, and when people betrayed him, and when his disciples disappointed him, and when the state persecuted him, he didn't murmur, he humbled himself and became obedient, even to the death on the cross. Now just think about this. Jesus never grumbled or murmured or argued with God or others in fulfilling and shining the light in the darkness. Listen. Even when our obedience leads us into a wilderness, and it will, and even when our obedience runs up against people who are hard to get along with or disagree with us or disappoint us, we need to humble ourselves and work together with humility. Listen, humility is the grease on the gears of relationships. Nothing hinders the advance of the gospel like God's people not getting along together. Let me say that again. Nothing hinders the gospel like God's people not getting along. And nothing advances the gospel like working together with humility that refuses to murmur, complain, and be proudful, but instead, hey, I'm gonna think of others. I'm gonna put others first. Second, we work with humility. Secondly, we need to work together with integrity. If we work together with integrity, we can advance the gospel. And here's why. Look at verse 15. There's three words I want you to circle, underline. Blameless, harmless, and without fault. Listen, those are words of integrity. Look at how the world is described. Crooked and perverse. Light of integrity. Darkness, lack of integrity. Crooked, straight. Humble, proud. You see the difference. Nothing dims the light of the gospel in our lives like a negative, critical, angry attitude that can't get along with other believers. Now what does this mean for us? Let me just suggest two things. It means that we should get along with one another better than the world around us. Amen? That means that we should get along better in our marriages than lost people. We should get along better in our families than lost people. In the workplace, in school, in the church, and on our ministry teams, we ought to have greater harmony and unity than the world around us. And we should have a higher standard of morality than the world. The world is perverse and crooked. And sad to say, if you measured most Christ followers' viewing habits, they're probably not that much different in their entertainment than lost people. There's a problem with that, crooked and perverse. We're to be blameless, harmless and without fault in what we're entertained by, in what we listen to, in what we look at on the internet, in what we post on our Facebook page, in what we think about and seek after in the secret places of our heart. And why should we do this? Turn over to Philippians 3. Look at Philippians 3 and I want you to look at verses 20 and 21. Why should we have greater integrity? Why should we have higher morality? Why should we shine in the darkness? Look at Philippians 3.20. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according, there it is again, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Listen, if you and I are believers this morning, the Lord of all can be the Lord of you and the Lord of me. There's nothing I struggle with. There's no sin I'm tempted with that the Lord Jesus Christ isn't Lord of and can deliver me from. It may be a daily deliverance. It may never be fully delivered until my glorious body is transformed. But I can see greater victory. And let me just say it this way. Greater integrity does not mean we are sinless. It means that we sin less. And we sin less. And we sin less until Jesus comes. Third, work together with tenacity. Work together with tenacity. Tenacity advances the gospel. Listen, the Mortons wouldn't be going back if they didn't have tenacity, okay? And notice what it says in verse 16. Holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ. Listen, nothing dims the light of the gospel in our lives like letting go of the absolute truths of this book, okay? This book and the people who love this book are under attack more and more in our culture and in our nation. And that doesn't mean we get proud and uppity and angry. It means we get humble, we get humble, but we get tenacious. And we're not gonna lose our grip on this book. How tight is your grip on the Word of God in 2014? We like to say that to to hold the Word of God uh, with just a pinky is listening to it. If you add another finger, you're reading it. If you add another finger, you're studying it. If you add your index finger, you're memorizing it. But when you add the thumb, into your grip on God's Word. Now you're meditating on what you're hearing, and what you're reading, and what you're studying, and what you're memorizing. There at the back there are reading plans for this year. You don't have to start with all five fingers. Get one finger going. Get two fingers going, add some meditation, and you can grip anything really hard, okay? So we're not trying to be overwhelming here, but we need to grow. And maybe last year you had two-finger grip, and you need to add a third finger this year. And study just means, study doesn't mean going to Bible college, seminary. Study means have a piece of paper and a pencil and write something down. And memorize, well, let's not talk too much about that. But we ought to be doing it, amen, to get a grip, to get a grip on the Word of God. And we will be blessed in that. Fourth, work together with intensity. Work together... With intensity. In verse 16, to hold fast can also mean to hold forth or to hold up. And so we don't just hold fast and hunker down, we hold fast to the Word of God so that we can hold it up to lost people. Amen? And that takes intensity. Why should there be intensity and urgency? Because the Lord's coming back. And listen, folks, when He comes back, every knee's going to bow, and those who haven't heard the gospel, will bow in judgment and only those who have heard the gospel and responded to it will knee and bow the knee now will be saved when the Lord comes back that means it's urgent it's intense the ashi people have never heard 150 thousand only about a hundred believers they don't even have the word of God in their language the Makonde people, all around, every tribe, every nation. This is why we partner with missionaries. We need to be like the wise men of old. If we're going to shine like lights in the darkness so that every people group, every Gentile nation, every tribe, every language, all the nations can see and hear that Jesus is Lord. And listen, everybody's going to bow. And if you bow the knee today, it will be for your good. If you wait until after he comes, you'll bow it anyway, but it'll be for your doom. And so today, you can make that that choice for salvation. Well, God's glorified when we work together. Let me end with this. If we're going to shine in the new year, we've got to work out what God's already worked in, and we've got to do it together to advance the gospel. But here's the third priority, and it's a good note to end on. Work with joy. Work with joy in spite of pressures and problems. Anybody have any pressures last year? Oh, now, come on. Anybody have any pressures last year? Anybody have any problems? You can raise both hands if you need to. OK. Hey, anybody going to have pressures in the new year? Raise your hand. Come on. Get honest. You going to have any problems in the new year? Okay, so what's the priority? Work with joy in spite of pressures and problems. Look at verse 17. Yes, and if I'm being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I'm glad and I rejoice with you all for the same reason you also be glad and rejoice with me. Now, listen, there's always gonna be pressures and problems until Jesus comes and his will is done on earth as it is in heaven. But because Jesus is coming back to establish his kingdom, because he already has the name that is above every name, because he has all authority in heaven and on earth, we can work with joy in spite of pressures and problems. So let me give you uh, three things to focus on. Here's what you need to focus on. And you can develop this, think through this on your own. First of all, when there's pressures and problems, and maybe you're in them right now, focus on the joy we show to others as we sacrifice and serve. That's what Paul does in 17 and 18. Paul's glad and rejoices even though he's in jail and very well may be beheaded for the gospel. Not only that, but he orders the Philippians to be glad and happy with him. Now, why is Paul so happy when his circumstances are so crappy? That's a good question. And the answer is, he could rejoice because his Difficult, bad circumstances were a direct result of advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as long as Christ was being glorified and exalted, he could endure anything with joy. So let me put it this way. Nothing shines in the darkness like joy in spite of circumstances. Nothing advances the gospel like joyfully laying down our lives to serve one another and to reach The lost with the gospel. Chad, Stephanie, thank you for doing that very thing with your family so that a people group can hear the gospel. And church, we need to be doing the same thing here in Kansas City so that they can count on us like we're counting on them. And then, in spite of pressures and problems, focus on the the joy we share in suffering like Jesus did. I'll let you read Philippians 1, 27 through 30, but I do want to read verse 29. Look at chapter 1, verse 29. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake. You know what? When we suffer for him, we're like him, and there's joy in that. There is joy in that. There was a man who lived less than 300 years after Jesus lived on this earth who was about to die, and he penned these last words to his friend. Listen to what he said. It's a bad world, an incredibly bad world, but I have discovered in the midst of it a quiet and holy people, who have learned a great secret. They have found a joy which is a thousand times better than any pleasure of our sinful life. They are despised and persecuted, but they care not. They are masters of their souls. They have overcome the world. These people are Christians, and I am one of them. Can you say that? And if you were to die and on your deathbed, can you say, I am one of them? And I have joy in spite of the trials. And then finally, the joy we see before us. Focus this year on the joy we see before us at the second coming. In Hebrews 12, 2, it says this. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. One day, we're going to get to sit down. One day, we're going to be rewarded. One day, we're going to enter into the Lord's presence. And he's going to say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into my joy. Listen, the best is not here. The best is yet to come. The famous author, George Or how do you spell joy? I'm sorry. How do you spell joy? Really, the whole passage, the whole message is about this. Jesus, others, and then you. Jesus, others, and then you. Work it out this year. The famous author, George Bernard Shaw, wrote a book called Courage. You can stand strong in the face of fear. And here's what he said. Pretty powerful quote. This is my true joy in life, the being used for a purpose recognized by yourself as a mighty one, the being thoroughly worn out before you are thrown on the scrap heap, and being a force of nature instead of a feverish, selfish, little clod of ailments and grievances complaining that the world will not devote itself to making you happy. Whoa. I think the Apostle Paul would say the same thing this way. Here's what I think he would say. This is the true joy in life, the being used for a purpose recognized by God as a mighty one, the being thoroughly worn out before you kneel before Jesus as Lord, and being a force of godliness instead of a feverish, selfish little clod of ailments and grievances, complaining, that the world will not devote itself to making you happy. Church, it's time to shine. Amen? We need to work out what God has already worked in. We need to work together to advance the gospel, and we need to work with joy in 2015 in spite of pressures and problems. So I ask you this morning, will you shine with us? Will you shine with us here at Glenwood? We shine as a church in the darkness when we work together At working out what God is working in to advance the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The the response to this message really comes down to this. Let God do for you this morning what you can't do for yourself. Receive Him as Savior and Lord. If you don't know, if you've never bowed the knee, if you've never come publicly confessed Him, just come to Him this morning and say, Lord, I'm proud, you're humble. I'm a sinner, you're not. You're a Savior. I can't do it, but you've done it for me. And I receive you and what you've done to save me, forgive me, and to give me a new heart and a new desire and a new ability to do what I desire. Lord, I receive you. And you just make that public in our response time. But most of us, many of us, have already received him. This is a great Sunday to recommit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. If you've never, as a believer, said, Lord, you have it all. I did it right there when I was 17. And I go back to that, and I recommit to that, and it's an anchor, it's a milestone. You need those in your life. And then some of you need to re-enlist, and you need to work together with us in the new year. Some are MIA, missing in action, AWOL, absent without leave. Some of you have never enlisted, but you can enlist this morning. Have you been baptized? That's how you publicly confess, I'm a believer. Have you joined the membership? I know you've been attending, but are you a member? And are you serving on a ministry team? And and what we can all recommit to this morning is we're going to serve with humility, with integrity, with tenacity, and we're going to do it with an intensity because the Lord's coming. The Lord is coming. We've got a job to do. Amen? Let's respond to him. Uh, why don't you bow your heads and, uh, as we have our response time. Hey, it's okay to come up and pray. Pray in this front pew. Pray here on the steps. You can pray in your seat, but there's something about moving. Active. Work it out. And you can pray this morning. To receive Christ. If you need help with that, I'm here. We have others here that can help you with that. If you need someone to pray with you, I'd love to pray with you and have someone else pray with you. But let's, let's, let's respond. Let's shine. And it starts right now in our response time. Father, we pray that you would do what only you can do, and we would act on what you have done and you would be glorified in this time of response. In Jesus' name, let's do business with God.